Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Connie. A quick trigger warning, we are going to talk about addiction and trauma. So if you're not in the mind space to hear that, because you know sometimes we just don't have the capacity, feel free to like visit one of the other 380 some episodes that are out there. We've covered a lot of stuff, so just check it out. So anyways, uh, Connie at a young age of 13 found herself in the grips of addiction to numb trauma and seek comfort. Oh my God, 13. Oh, I have a 13 year old. I'm like, oh no, no, please no. Anyways, uh, through numerous traumatic events, teenage pregnancy, teen mom here too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> team, team mom. <laughs> team, team mom. <laughs> not like the people that are on the show. They make, it, they make it seem so easy. And I'm just like, it's not that easy. I promise you. It's no, not definitely not. <laughs> Addiction, definitely not. sex work, relapse, and juvenile delinquency. Connie persevered and found the will to live and love herself with the help of wild horses. Side note, I had a horse when I was little. It was Aww. so great. We rescued him. Well, we didn't rescue that him. We got him from a rescue. My parents were friends with uh, people that ran a rescue and he was abused. Um, and he was actually Aww. scared of men. And it took a lot for my dad, a lot of patience for my dad to get him to warm up to him. But with the rest of us, he had no problem. He was just like, hey, so <laughs> I, I understand. Horses are great. So now at 37. I think so too. <laughs> Now at 37, Connie is a mother of five children living her best life in rural Colorado. Her experiences have shaped her ability to successfully help horses and humans heal. Connie's story is one of inspiration and hope. Her mission is to reach others who struggle and help them embrace their shadows. Well, welcome to the podcast, Connie. Well, thank you. I'm excited to be here. You know, it was really hard to write that bio. <laughs> Oh, I know. I know people ask me for bios when they invite me on podcasts and stuff. And I'm like, I don't even know what to say. Mine like literally says Megan is like a Care Bear in a human body or something like that. Oh. <laughs> I was told that by one of my earliest guests. She was just like, the first time I met Megan, I was a little overwhelmed because she is like a Care Bear stuck in a human's body. <laughs> Oh, well, I think you have a beautiful energy. It's making me feel comfortable because I was a little nervous about ah, it. I'm glad. That's my that's my job is to make people feel comfortable. And I told you it's probably it's, this is probably the easiest podcast interview you'll oh. ever do. I actually had a, a upcoming guest like email me and she said, Hey, I've got a little one at home. Is it okay or do I need to find childcare? No, you don't need to find <laughs> childcare. I'll edit oh. it out. Like pay for child child care is expensive right? yeah, I'm is. glad my kids are like get, getting to the age where they can watch mm -hmm. themselves because let me tell you what apparently you're supposed to pay them minimum wage now and I yeah, yeah and I live in oh. Connecticut that's $14 an hour <laughs> oh man oh man well I've got to tell you I went ahead and started started over and have a toddler right now so oh, oh yeah I'm it's 
It's been interesting. It's different. I love him very, very, very much. And I mean, my first four, they were so calm and well-behaved. So I was like, hey, what's one more? Oh, boy, let me tell you, it is different, <laughs> different yeah. at my age. And he's the most hyper child I've I've raised. I love him dearly. Yeah. But it's, it's a lot. It's definitely different. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, my last two are twins. And let me tell you what my, they're boy girl twins. My daughter is the spiciest oh. child you will ever, she is a sass. <laughs> she is so far. She is going to like go places this like, I, Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always like people are like, Oh, you know, you're not supposed to put down your kids and say, I'm like, I don't mean it offensively. This girl is going to run the world. <laughs> yep, and that is beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful thing. So bless your heart. And I mean that in the Northern way, not the Southern way where they really mean. And like, <laughs> I, so I, I was interviewing in Mississippi and okay. I said, bless your heart. I'm like, Oh, I don't mean it in the way you all say it down here. Uh, I mean it like, in the northern way where we really mean it nicely like we you know I, I'm like I know in the south they really mean f you and they're just trying to be nice and I was just like right. I don't mean it like that let me explain myself because like I can't even imagine having a toddler right now I'm 36 and I'm just like um yeah and I it's have four kids different. Yeah. yeah. Oh, see, you understand. It yeah. is different. <laughs> I cannot have any babies anymore. I was like, no, cut that yep. off. Me I, I either. Mean, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm really high risk anyway, so I wouldn't bode well for me to get pregnant again. But uh when I found out like one of my ovaries drops two eggs at once, so that's how I got twins. I was like, Wow. <laughs> hard pass even if I was not high risk I don't want to chance that happening again so I hear you yeah I hear you. so anyways we're not here to talk about kids but you know <laughs> teen moms team teen moms over here um <laughs> so that's what what led you to at 13 I mean obviously in a a g-ish rated way um I always say that because like you know I've had guests that like go into explicit details I'm like okay, let's not traumatize me here. <laughs> you know, right. just like, you know, what happened in general to lead you at 13 um, to be in the throes of addiction? Yeah, so, <clears throat> so I grew up in a family. Okay, so my mother's side of the family was like, hardcore Catholic, Italian. Mm. I grew up in New York on Long Island. I grew um, up in New York, but yeah. not even close. <laughs> Canada, way up there. Can oh, <laughs> see, my, my dad grew up near there. Well, he had was born in Minnesota, and then they moved to Buffalo, and he went to, like, Kanishkis. Yeah, I think I'm saying, no, right? no, Buffalo anyway. is, like, hours <laughs> away from where I'm from. Oh, wow. I, I mean, 30 minutes from the Canadian border. <laughs> so it's completely wow. different parts of New York. <laughs> Sounds beautiful, though. It does. Lots of snow. Um, yeah, I bet. <laughs> so, so I grew up in, you know, my father had different views. He was more like a, a humanitarian universalist, very laid back and musician. Uh, but he had a really strong negative relationship with alcohol. And um, my mom was very materialistic. So my father 
would get blackout drunk and there were mm. there was just a lot of physical abuse and um you know bruises emotional abuse i remember towards me and uh witnessing it towards my mother um only when he was blackout drunk mm-hmm. and you know people had started to notice the bruises on my body and I was in school and I, I got pulled out of a classroom and asked to undress by um, child protective services, basically to check my body Mm -hmm. for bruises while I was at school. And that was humiliating. It was really humiliating. And then my father was removed from the home um, because they had found like hand size bruises around my body. And um, I hadn't seen him. I didn't see him for two years. And him being removed from the home and me being so frustrated and scared and confused on the abuse uh, led me to start basically running away and and searching for a means to escape. So mm-hmm. I had started going down the road of experimenting with the alcohol and and weed and the weed leveled me out. I, it actually made my brain feel normal at the time. Alcohol was a not, it was like, I'm allergic to it in my brain, basically. (laughs) It doesn't, it didn't work for me. So with all that going on and me now searching for love in all the wrong places, I, I put my trust into an older boy in the community and basically lost, quote unquote, lost my virginity on a playground and in the middle of it saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And it continuing and me beating myself up that I had said no multiple times in the middle of it. But I had also said yes at first. Yeah, no, Um, I understand. I have a similar story. Yeah. And me, you know, it it turned into me running home and hiding in the corner for a few days. And finally me telling my my mom what had happened. Um, And everybody in my community basically just called me a slut and a whore and that this wasn't rape because I said yes. And, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of lived with, lived with that for a long while. And um, right after that, I was a competitive swimmer. My, my mother, she was teaching swimming um, at a military school that was close to us. We're not affiliated with the military, but she just worked there. Yeah. And, um, and her assistant coach had started grooming me and Mm -hmm. touching me there um all those things led me to experimenting more and drugs were readily available in my community um Mm -hmm. i knew people that were doing them and i i knew already that the alcohol and the weed were a an escape for me so that led to cocaine and ecstasy and and, I mean all the things and I met this this older boy so now we're talking about I'm 13 and I'm lying about my age saying I'm 
16 and he's yeah. 22 and um, I could get away with it because I did look a lot older and I was, you know, I had a figure. I knew I could use those things. Um, and me already messing around with the cocaine and liking that I could escape. He had, he had offered me what I thought was cocaine and it, it wasn't, it was heroin. Oh and my. I had, you know, I sniffed some heroin and, uh, that was the beginning of my year, just about a year long run with, with heroin. Um, before I got caught up with the law and being a juvenile delinquent and in and out of rehabs and finally sentenced to, you have to finish this program. Um, so here I am at 14 years old and they throw me into a detox center um, in New York and, you know, they put me on methadone and all these other things. I was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. I was bipolar. I was everything. I was everything, but, but just someone coming out of trauma. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so, so I, I went to this detox and then they were like, well, you're going to be held at another place before you go up to the center because there's not a bed available. And that place was more like a juvenile detention center or jail. And that's where I was for a few weeks before a bed finally opened up. Um, you know, I'm leaving some things out here too. So like while I was in that grips of addiction and searching for the love and the, like feeling like I belonged somewhere, um, I was very much out on the streets and I had formed a relationship with a gang member and all of a sudden I mixed up with gang related activity and assaults and, you know, all these other things and basically being pimped out it it was a lot it was I mean it was it was a lot um yeah so I end up in in this treatment center and it's called date top it was the acronym was like drug addicts yield to our persuasion right oh my um oh my is right <laughs> and I'm in <laughs> I'm in this center and you know it was a bunch of adolescents like a, I was the youngest one in there, but it was basically 13 to 18 years old. I was the youngest one in there and um, they had it separated like men and women. And you, there was a lot of structure to it. And you also weren't allowed to feel the things that adolescents feel like, Oh, that boy is cute. Or, Oh, I want to, chew a piece of gum or you know just mm -hmm. you weren't allowed to feel like a normal adolescent and if you did have any of those feelings that a boy was cute or a girl was cute or anything normal they considered it you have guilt in your belly so if someone if they suspect someone has guilt in their belly they give you a yellow legal pad a really hard chair you sit in front of a wall and you are not allowed to move there from there 
until you drop your guilt onto that legal pad, right? Sounds like a conversion uh, therapy. It was exactly that um, waking up at odd hours just to, ha- I mean, everybody's heard horror stories of cleaning the floor with a toothbrush. This actually happened there. Like they would give you a toothbrush and you would have to go into the rotunda and scrub the tiles in between the tiles with the toothbrush. Um, it looking back at it, I mean, I want to say I'm grateful for the for the experience because it's given me a lot of insight um, to how not to be. Yeah, <laughs> other humans. Uh, but it's, I definitely. I think more trauma came out of that place. I was just going to say that. I'm like, it probably mm-hmm. compounded the trauma and guaranteed every child yeah. that was in there had trauma because mm-hmm. there's yep. such a strong relationship between addiction mm-hmm. and trauma. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the first meeting when you walk into this place is you sit, it was um, client runs. It was like run by the people that were in there and um, like the kids, they would work through a system and there would be a path panel with a couple of staff members that graduated the adult program um and they would kind of make a panel and you'd go into this room and they'd close the doors and there were like six of them in there and the first meeting they have is a confrontation meeting and they basically break you down to build you up so it's like a scare tactic Mm -hmm. and they make you feel really bad about the choices you've made and and it's or, you know, whatever you were experiencing without ever addressing the root cause of, okay, well, why did you go down this road? Or why did these things happen to you? It, it was mm-hmm. never addressing the root cause. It was just, we're going to break you down and make you a robot of society and all this other stuff. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and at 13, after going through the things I had gone through, it was scary. It was really, really scary, and it, it made me question my self worth even, even more. You know, so we're, I'm eight months into the program, and they say, "Well, there's so much guilt in this house. We're going to shut the house down. Basically, like you're not going to really have a sense of what time it is. Um, it's going to be hard. Nobody's allowed to leave the house. Blah 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 blah." Now there were privileges in this house as you moved up the ranks and I had I had moved up by that time and there was a there was a pool it was like set up in a house um there was a pool in the backyard and they knew I was a competitive swimmer they wanted me to take they they wanted me to take a lifeguarding course to to help um supervise the swimming in the pool for the summer and so I was going like that they would take me down to the local YMCA to um, fulfill this lifeguarding course. And I happened to know someone there from my competitive swimming years. So, <laughs> so we find out the house is going to get closed down. Good. And I talked to my friend there and we're up in New Paltz, New York, right? So um, I talked to my friend there. I'm like, look, I got to get out of this place. Really need to get out of this place. And he was like, well, I'll help you do it. So we 
came up with this grand plan and I split the program. I left. I ran away from the treatment center because, you know, that's what I do when I'm facing trauma. I run. So I'm like a flight person. And uh, <laughs> I run away from this program and I spend a couple of weeks up there. And by this time I had forgiven my dad. I left that out. My I forgave my dad pretty early on when he sobered up. And um, I think forgiveness is a huge part of my story towards others and towards myself. And I, so I had called my father when I ran away because I was like, I can't call my mom. She's going to right, lose her shit. Freak. Oh, yeah. yeah. She is definitely going to lose her shit. So I call my dad and I'm like, hey, look, this is what's going on. I can't go back. And he drove. He drove up there and he picked me up after I had, of course, partied with everybody in New Paltz because I wanted to escape the trauma I just went through. Right. <laughs> so so he picks me up and he drives me back down to Long Island. And um, I want to say I did I did pretty well in school for the fact where I would just learn things. I, I never did my homework, but I could go in and ace a test. No problem. Um, I didn't study none of, none of that. And um, so we're talking about I'm in like 10th, 10th grade. So, you know, it's about 15, 14 going on 15. Um, and I'm supposed to be going into 11th grade when I return. So anyhow, my dad brings me back to Long Island and I, I drink a gallon of tea water and I'm like, they're going to drug test me. I'm going to end up going to juvenile detention, all this other stuff. And um, the judge, I tell the judge what had gone on in that center and how it wasn't valuable. And they're not addressing, like I came to him with all the stuff. They're not addressing why I'm here in the first place. They're making me feel like this horrible criminal and I just want to feel better about who I am. And the judge says, I'm just going to give you six months of probation. You don't have to go back there. I was oh, like, that's nice. Yeah. What? That is awesome. I still, I, I'm actually still friends with this judge. I consider him. Oh, actually, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. I actually think he was a big piece in saving my life, regardless that I definitely don't agree with that program. Um, so so because I split the program, I didn't get my credits for 10th grade. And I'm being told you're not going into 11th grade, you're going to be held back. You have oh, to do fine. 10th grade over again, right? So I, um, I walk into a new school and I, it's actually it was September 11th. I walk into a new school and that was the day the towers went down in New York. And I was just like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I turned 16 and I dropped out. I was like, I'm not, I'm not redoing any of this. So I drop out and six months later, I find out I'm pregnant um, with my I was also one. 16 when I got I pregnant. Said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he's now, he's actually on his way to visit me. Um, but it's been such a journey. So, so I, so I found out I'm pregnant with, with Tony and I want to 
definitely keep him. I'm like, finally, someone I yep. can love. And I that understand love that. Me wholeheartedly, <laughs> you know, it's he's mine, I'm his. So I, so I have Tony just a couple of weeks after I turned 17. And, um, you know, then I get pregnant with V at 18. So I have Tony and V at 17 and 18. And their father, we were real, really young. Um, he was a wonderful human, but had his own set of issues and Mm -hmm. that it just, it didn't work. And there, there was some emotional abuse there. And, um, I ended up leaving. Well, yeah, he left me while I was pregnant with, um, my daughter V and that was really hard. That was really, really hard. Um, there was a lot of, you know, he was cheating on me and all these other things, but we were young. Not that it's an excuse, but we were young. Right. Um, and so I have Tony and V when, when I, when I gave birth to V, she came out all white and I remember being in the delivery room and he was there and he was like, that's not my kid. Like, it is. It's your kid. And like, why does she have that white hair and all this other stuff? And I uh. just remember breaking down in the delivery room like, this is your child. And the doctor's coming in the next day and saying, you know, your daughter has albinism. She's legally blind. Um, it's a recessive genetic disorder and it has to be on both sides. And we were talking about, it and he's like, well, yeah, I have a, I have a cousin, a second cousin that's albino. And I'm like, I don't know where it is on my side of the family. It doesn't matter. I love her just as much. You yeah. Know? Um, and mind you, we're still not together. We're broken up, but he was there for the birth and I go home and I'm trying to navigate how, how am I going to raise these two children alone? I'm living with my mom and my sisters and think, thankfully they were there for me and understanding. Um, but I'm again, starting to spiral out because I'm feeling the pressure and I'm like, I, I don't think I'm good at being a mom. I don't, think I'm ready for this. I still was not healed there. I was not healed at all from my childhood. So, (laughs) so I tell my mom, can you help me? I can't do this. I need to go out and be 19, Uh, 19 years old. I need to go experience life. I, and she says, yep, you do what you need to do, but you come home, you come home at night. And I'm looking for ways to make money. And I have a friend. She's like, but you're so gorgeous. You know, she was a she was a stripper. And she's like, just come with me and try it one night. And I did. And I loved it. I was like, I can be myself. And I am good at this. And I love it feels so empowering and freeing. I love this so much. Um, so I become a stripper and I don't touch alcohol or drugs for the first year. Oh, no. 
and I relapse and I start drinking every night. And I mean, um, that led to cocaine and a ve- like a very, very abusive relationship. I started dating this older man and um, he, he was living in the Bronx. I ended up moving to the Bronx and working in clubs over there. I left the children with my mom. I just beelined. I was like, I am out. I can't do this. And I, for the most part, basically abandoned my children and, and went down this road of now not only using the cocaine again, but selling the cocaine in the clubs to all the other dancers because he, my boyfriend, very abusive boyfriend, was a drug dealer, right? Mm. So so I'm going down this road and I know I'm now I'm I'm scared for my life. Um I had tried to get away from him multiple times, but I just I didn't know how and I I was really afraid um he was going to he was going to kill me. And uh, this one time I had actually left and I had moved back to Long Island from the Bronx and um, a couple of weeks had gone by and he called me and he was like, well, I just want to come and return your stuff to you. Like really sweet talk to me. Oh no. I let him know where I was. And I genuinely just like I had told my friend, you wait for me like right over there. I'll be really quick. And um, just please keep an eye on me just in case. And he gets there and his sister-in-law is driving the car and he grabs me and throws me into the car, locks the doors and drives me back to the Bronx and locks me in a room. And I did not think I was going to make it out alive. Um, I... I ended up convincing his sister-in-law to let me leave that room about a week later. And I ran and I I got on a subway and I ran and I showed up at my friend's house with all these bruises all over my body. And you know what? That still wasn't enough. I, um, I ended up following him to Florida, going to Florida leaving my children at home and thinking he has changed this is going to change i have to it's stay those abusive relationships i understand i've been there it's the they're mm-hmm. nice long enough where you're like it's better yep. and then shit yep. goes south again yep yep so i follow him down to florida i moved to florida and i'm like this is going to change this is going to be great and um i'm still you know drinking and doing some drugs here and there with him and we're going out to clubs and I mean I'm in my early 20s I'm like 21 now and mm-hmm. uh, um, we go out to this one club in Miami and I remember feeling good and people were complimenting my outfit and how beautiful I look and I'm a very flirtatious happy individual right? I feel yeah so, me too <laughs> <laughs> and I enjoy being like that and um and so I you know I say thank you and I make conversations with people and I and I wasn't shutting them out and we get back in the car with the, the friends that we went with and 
we drive back. They're dropping us off at our apartment and I have a bad feeling. And I'm like, I don't want to get out. Can we just go and do something? And they were also scared of him as well. I mean, he was in um, prison for criminal negligent homicide, which I had found out later in the relationship for a while. <laughs> and um, this night I did not want to get out of the car because he, I knew what was about to come. And I tried to not get out of the car and it turned into this whole big thing and the window was rolled down. I couldn't get it up fast enough and he had grabbed me by my hair, drug me inside. Um, and I don't remember much of what had happened after that, but I opened my eyes the next morning, thankfully. And I saw a knife sitting next to my face and I was just like, I'm done. I can't do this. And I waited for the opportune moment for him to leave for work. And I called my friend, a childhood friend who I knew was living on the other, like not too far away in Florida. And I call and I cry and I'm like, I need your help. And I packed up all my stuff and I never looked back. I left. I finally, finally left because I strongly believe if I didn't, I would have ended up in Alligator Alley. Um, mm -hmm. so, so now here I am on the other coast of Florida, incognito, trying to not let anybody, my family, anybody know where I'm at or what I'm doing, just know that I'm alive and I'm, and I'm working on things. And, um, I started going to so like AA meetings and NA meetings down there. And I was just like, oh, well, this is nice. They're doing it on the beach and there's a whole lot of meditation. And um, I start finding myself through meditation and snorkeling and swimming in the ocean, right? Um, so, so I think about six months to a year goes by. I'm finally, I'm clean. I'm, I'm off of everything and I'm ready to move back home. I feel good. And I call my mom and I'm like, these are the steps I've taken. This is what I've done. I really miss my children. I need to come home. I feel really guilty. And I, and I do just that. I come home and then I start dating another childhood friend who, um, who started coming to meetings with me. And I realized that he is stuck in the grips of addiction, but I go and we get pregnant. Three baby daddies up in here, okay? So do I, so do I. <laughs> three baby daddies. Uh, <laughs> and people so, like meet uh, me and they're like, what? And I was like, yeah, yeah. you think people are whores uh, for having three baby daddies? Well, yeah. I got three baby daddies. So now rethink that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too. So, so we, we get pregnant and, um, I actually, I, I, I honestly didn't want to be pregnant, but I did. I, I kept him. I'm so glad I kept him. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I kept him and, you know, we get married we have two children. He's in an opiate addiction. I managed oh. to stay out of it for a while, for a while until yeah. my tooth hurt. And he was like, here, just have a box oh. and put it under your tongue. It, it's not drugs. It's meant to take people off of drugs. You're not relaxing. You'll feel better. So here now I am 
and knowing I have addiction problems and I form a habit again with, with Suboxone and opiates. Um, so he becomes really abusive towards me and my other children that were not his and innately a very good human. Um, but drugs, addiction, mm-hmm. my addiction ex was, and- um, Mm-hmm. an addict as well and um same thing he had a lot of trauma and you know to deal with that was drinking and doing drugs wonderful human being yep. when he was sober but and that's how i'd get ready to leave or i would leave and then he would get sober enough and be so nice and i'd go back and it would start again mm-hmm. i thought i just like you i if i hadn't left i don't know if i'd still be alive to this day shot off yep. a gun the day i left like it's some serious oh, shit it's so scary. I feel you like it is scary. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah? they're nice people, but like addiction changes you. It does. It really, really, really does. You know, and um, finding the strength to now leave him. And so I'm like, oh, now I have four kids. There's abuse and addiction again. What do I do? I, I call my dad. I call my dad and I'm crying. And all of a sudden, my ex walks into the room. I'm on, like, while I'm on the phone with my father, grabs the phone from me and just like throws it against the wall. And that's all my dad heard was me scream and the phone break. Oh, thankfully, my father called. My father called the cops, and I had ran past my baby at the time. My uh, my daughter. She was, you know, just about six seven months old I run past her I try to grab her he tries to grab me I don't have the baby I run into the car I'm hiding in the car shaking the police knocks on my window and finds me and I finally have the strength to leave I'm like I can't do it so I move um, around that time I want to mention um just a few months before that I had kind of I grew up as a hunter jumper like so jumping jumping horses and taking lessons. That's something my grandparents did for me when I was a child. And I was, you know, I was pretty successful in anything I tried to do. I just had like a natural something for, you know, like violin, dance, gymnastics, horses. I, I was always really successful with it. So around that time, I, um, horses were calling back to me and I was like, I, I've only felt really whole when I'm around horses. There's something they do for me. And um, I had walked into a show barn, you know, I'm living on the eastern end of Long Island. And I say, hey, I just I'd like to be around horses just to just to be around them and get that little girl feeling back. So I started cleaning stalls and that turned into uh, being hired and getting lessons out of it and all these other things and me kind of picking up where I left off as a child. So horses had come back into my life at this point. So I get the strength to leave and I'm like, I'm moving to Pennsylvania. I pack up all my children and I moved to Pennsylvania and I continue working with the horses in Pennsylvania. And then my ex comes creeping back in again. So now my ex-husband is back in the picture. He's like, let's move to Florida. 
Oh my God, what is up with Florida? And you like, uh, he's attracted so, to Florida. No, I don't know. So I'm like, it's been long enough. I think I can handle living in Florida again. And I moved to Florida again <laughs> with the children this time. Um, so now I'm with my ex and the, my ex-husband and with the children and we moved down to Florida and I find some show barns in Florida to start working in. Um, and now I am on a pill binge with Xanax and Adderall and all this other stuff. Um, so, so I, I was managing to get by, but I was working long grueling hours of two different jobs and he wasn't doing anything but sitting there and not being mm. nice to my children. So the, the older two children, I sent them back up to New York for a summer. And again, my father calls me, my father is like, I need you to sit down and listen to me. This is what's going on when you're not home. And I turn around I get off the phone with my dad I quietly pack his bags I buy him a plane ticket I drive him to the airport and I'm like I'm done and he starts threatening and all this other stuff I said nope we're putting another restraining order on you clean yourself up I'm done um and me do the same thing to myself clean myself up <laughs> right so right <laughs> so I'm so I'm now cleaning myself up again and a few years goes by. Of course, I'm in another lovely relationship and we just, I, I swear just, we're like <laughs> magnets for these, right? It wasn't until I met my yeah. spouse and I'm like, oh, I can attract nice guys too. <laughs> me too. Oh my goodness. Me too. So, so I'm, you know, with my final and last piece of that abusive cycle I'm with that man and that's the final one and I'm like I need to get away from this humidity and he's an alcoholic <laughs> I'm staying clean though like so I'm I'm staying clean and now being a caretaker and people pleaser and all these other things so I'm like I just I need somewhere with snow and mountains and um put my finger on a map, started applying for jobs, got hired somewhere in Telluride, Colorado. And I was like, I'm going to go work for a ski resort. I don't know how to ski. And, <laughs> and I pack all the kids. You're going to learn real fast, aren't you? <laughs> uh -huh. So I pack them all up and we drive to Colorado and I end up in this beautiful little town called Uray and um, fall in love with it there. And I... I'm like, I never worked in the ski resort, by the way. I ended up um, working as a paraprofessional in the school over there and walking into a lawyer's office and saying, hey, I really need to get a divorce, but I can't find, I, like, I know where his parents are. I don't know where he is right now, but I need to get a divorce. And I walk in and he has all this horse memorabilia and I'm like, oh, I work with horses. I really love horses. I need some horses in my life right now. And he writes down this number and he was like, this lady just got in an accident. Please call her. She needs some help. She has horses. So I call her and I end up going there to volunteer. This lady has now become a, like a mother figure in my life. Um, but it was there that I met my first wild horse. And I instantly connected after learning i'm like oh this isn't just a myth or a legend like there weren't mustangs at that time 
in the hunter jumper barns that I grew up in. Um, and I just felt this wild, wild connection. And it was through that connection that I started putting the pieces of myself back together. So I start playing with these horses there and she was like, I need to introduce you to someone. So she introduces me to her natural horsemanship trainer and he kind of takes me under his wing and teaches me all about gentling wild horses and, and working with them. And all through this, I'm like learning things about myself that are good and bad and ugly and awesome. And I'm learning how to feel these things and work through them and, and accept them and give myself permission to feel them and be okay with it. Right. Mm -hmm. So all along still having questions on how can, how can I be gentle and effective and honor their process the same way that I need to honor mine. And I start finding all these cool things, um, all these cool things. So now it's time to break up with the last crazy man. (laughs) (laughs) Like I need that divorce. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So my father and I go back to New York and the last ex he's, um, he's starting to become a lot to handle too. We come back to Colorado and it was within like a week. I'm, I can't do this. He was putting his hands on me. I'm like, I'm done. I am really done this time. I swear I'm really done this time. So I now uh, pack up the kids and go back to New York. I'm like, I'm going to go back to New York. I need to be around my family. I just lost, you know, my dad's gone. Like I need to, I need to help put the pieces back together. And while I'm in New York, this is six years ago. Um, I go out with a group of friends. I decide to drink and I wake up in the hospital. They, my heart had stopped. They, I was on like a Narcan drip. It said, they said I did heroin and didn't even know it. Yeah. That, I mean, that's it right mm-hmm. now. Like, you know, it's scary because like fentanyl is being put in everything. And there's so many times that people don't realize is you could not even mean, mean to ingest some of these drugs. And you yep. 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 So I wake up in that, in that hospital and I'm like, Oh man, I cheated death and I didn't even get to feel what I did. So that wasn't enough for me. I go on a binge. I'm like, oh, I'm going to spend all of my inheritance money now. Got a new car, may as well do drugs. And that's what I did uh, for, it, it was a short binge. It was about two months. And I was like, you know what? No, I belong in Colorado with the wild horses. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. And I, one more time, <laughs> packed the kids up and came back to Colorado um, and previously when I had been living here it wasn't that long in between I mean I was gone for like five or six months um, previously when I had been living here I was walking there was a tiny little grocery store in the town and there was this guy that worked there that 
<laughs> I always just had this like insane butterfly feeling like why do I feel connected to this individual I don't know why I feel connected to this individual when I had come back from from New York I we basically ran into each other and I've got to tell you that is my husband now we have a little child together and it is the healthiest relationship I've ever been in in my life I, I met mine at a wedding yeah, <laughs> we saw that coming. I didn't see it coming, but you know, all right, all right. <laughs> oh, so yeah, I get I get back, and I devote my life to understanding these wild horses and um how they've helped me heal, how they're continuing to help me heal, and now being able to pass that on to I have quite a few adolescents that come around my ranch oh, and awesome pair, yeah I pair them up with um wild horses that I have here and I coach them through and it's like it's really a beautiful thing to watch how it empowers an individual on um getting to know themselves and caring for another being while they're caring for themselves mm -hmm. it's it's just a really wonderful process. Um, so that's where I'm at now with the wild horses and coaching others, specifically adolescents. Like, I mean, I help adults in, in the training process and everything, but my heart is really, really with those adolescents. And that's where things were hard, really hard for me. Yeah. Um, so being able to be a positive influence um, during an adolescent time period, I didn't have that. Um, mm -hmm. So it feels really good to be able to be that person for that inner child that cries to me. Yeah. That My dad actually says, because uh, he had a lot of trauma when he was little, he says, I have a little boy that cries in my head. And I just, I, I'm like, you know what? Like that's trauma right there. Right. Like, yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, it's, it still pops up for me. I mean, I recently went through something where I, I have this inner critic a lot, you know, and, yeah. um, and I, I like to be vulnerable, but it's really hard for me to be publicly mm -hmm. vulnerable. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to take steps to, try to be a little vulnerable, see what I get out of it. And um, I put, I had put so much thought and like research into this post and I am not a research person. I just don't, I am a feeler. <laughs> I learn by experience and experiment. I get interested in something and I try to research it. And then I get to a certain point and I'm just like, I, it's, I can't get past it because it's boring for me. I mean, I went to college for a little while. I had a 4.0 GPA. Um, I studied applied behavioral analysis for a little bit. I, you know, I did psychology. Yeah. I, I apply it all to the horses, but there's only so much that I want to go back and research. I, I just like to feel right. Yeah. Um. So anyway, I put this, this thought and I actually did some research and kind of made a post about like the window of tolerance with humans and horses. And I had some people um, really bash me and 
say some things that definitely didn't align and they still so they were projecting onto me and I was really mm-hmm. taking it personally to the point where I actually took the post down and I had to sit with myself and I was like why am I feeling like this and realizing it's that inner critic and mm-hmm. um, healing I still have to do because you know these traumas they they resurface they keep coming back and presenting themselves in different ways and um it was a good reminder to me that I need to sit down and practice my own self-care and I should be proud of myself for being vulnerable. And at the same time, um, accepting that there is still so much room for growth and improvement Mm -hmm. on my healing and giving myself permission to go through it. Right. Um, Yeah. So it's all a transformation. (laughs) I can uh, relate to so many pieces of your story. Um, Mm -hmm. Like things you said, I was like, yes, I was there too. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I can, I can feel you. And, and, you know, that trauma sticks Mm -hmm. with you and it really hurts you. And congratulations on being sober. Like that's exciting. Um, uh, So as we wrap up the podcast today, because the time goes by really fast. And and by the way, I also want to say, I'm really proud of you for sharing, because especially after you posting that that post and getting all that feedback. It, I know it can be mm-hmm. hard to be vulnerable again. I've, I've experienced yeah. that myself because I, I have bipolar disorder and um, mm-hmm. sharing that sometimes I get people to say, saying things that I'm just like, you're saying exactly what I feared people would say. Right. So um, yeah. as we wrap up the podcast today, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? Um, I want to say, give yourself permission to be and feel all of the things. I guess I want people to know to give themselves permission to just be and go through those feelings and transformation. Um, I left out one part of my spiritual journey with Tara Scubello. I know she was on this podcast and she yes. is a piece, she is a piece of my Tantra journey and how I apply it to wild horses. So, so. Yeah. I love that. She, that was a great episode. I'm going to link yeah. it up so people can check it out. It was a couple yeah. of years ago, but I have had some amazing people on this podcast. Yes. If that's one thing yes. I can say. I'm like, you know what? Pat myself uh-huh. on the back. Cause like, uh-huh. you know, it, interesting. Yeah, people. absolutely. And you have, um, I've listened to quite a few episodes and every single one. I'm just like, Oh, I love this person. This is great. <laughs> so so yeah, and I, I believe you'll be talking to my daughter V soon. I was well. going to ask you if that's mm-hmm. your daughter, but I yes. didn't want to ask on the podcast because I didn't want to like give it away. But when uh-huh. you were like V and mm-hmm. um, albinism, I was like, wait, I yes. had somebody apply <laughs> that has yep. that name with the same, what is going on? <laughs> yep, that's, it's her. She was the one who encouraged me to apply. Well, you just happened to pick uh-huh. the earlier date. So she'll be after you. I know. We 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 spoke about it. She was like, well, I asked her and she was like, I think you should just go before me, mom. I was like, okay. Well, I see that now. I mean, I can link mm-hmm. when it, hers yes. airs. I can link hers on yours and yours on hers. And we just have this happy yes. little like kumbaya uh-huh. going on here. Yep. Yeah. And I think it'll just be cool because you'll get to hear her her version of what she went through as a child when I had abandoned her and her brother. Yeah. 
Well, I, I'm, I'm really proud of you, honestly, for being willing to, um, hold, like have that space and capacity to allow, like some parents don't want you to talk about the bad things, right? Some parents are just like, shut up, sit down. We don't need to talk about this. Um, so I'm really proud of you for being that parent. Like, you. You know what? I know that they went through some shit, right? And yeah. that's their story and they should be able to share it. And I'm not going to hush them up. Exactly that, you know, and even with my 20 year old Tony, these full brother coming to visit from Denver right now, he's going through all these, all these struggles, and he'll openly say like, well, I don't, you know, you didn't show up for me sometimes. And we know, like, I'm like, yeah, I didn't. I, yeah, you know, Uh and, and he feels safe enough with me to be able to Mm. talk about those things. And that to me is so important. It's like, yeah, no, I, I know I was not, I was not what you needed. Uh, They did have a great support group, but they didn't have me. Yeah. And we're able to talk about that and move on from it. And um, V is doing some really beautiful things. And Tony is really beginning to get his his, uh, life together and figure it out. And we're really close, all of us. I love that. Yeah, Yeah. I was, you know, I said I was a teen mom too. And so, you know, even, you know, even without all the addiction and the, you know, abusive relationships, but like I said, I was an abusive relationship too. being a teen mom alone. You're growing up with them. You can't be the best you you could be because you're still freaking kid. And so like my, my, my oldest daughter, she's gone through some stuff and she's actually been on the podcast before and and she's cool. shared a little bit about that and the stuff she went through. And her and I just went through a rough patch because she's got these big feelings, right? About things yeah. that she went through and that mm-hmm. I wasn't the best mom that I could be. And, you know, all we could do as parents, and I wish my mom would do this. I don't freaking talk to her because she's emotionally abusive and thinks that I ruined her life yeah. by being bored. She's great. Um, oh, but like, boy. you know, as parents, like taking responsibility for the things we we did apologizing and do better going forward that's all we can do but the thing is is where parents go wrong is they don't they're like "Mm, mm -mm, no I didn't do that or they say I did but let's let's not talk about it It, it's you know they have all the excuses so I'm proud of you exactly that's Thank amazing. You. I'm proud of you too. Thank Thanks. you. <laughs> Which is, all right. We can keep going on with this love fast. I know, I know. I'm going to, I'm going to stop this. <laughs> Connie, okay. thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.